the 19th chapter of Luke. We're going to start with the first verse and through the 10th verse. As I said, we're going back and forth this fall from Luke uh, to the Old Testament and the wonderful lessons that we get from both. We, of course, come today to that familiar story of Zacchaeus. We always sing with the kids every week about the wee little man who climbed the sycamore tree. Got to thinking this week, based on an article that I read uh, from a scholar, how did Zacchaeus become the Zacchaeus? It's a very common name, so how did he become the one that made it into the story? What would cause a person to turn on his own people and to gather taxes for those invading conquerors? How outcast must he have felt to be willing to embrace the title of chief tax collector for the Romans? Was it greed? Really? Just money? Doesn't wealth usually give a person status? And how would collecting taxes for the conquerors give you any kind of belonging or any kind of status? An educated man would have been able to, to gather wealth by many other means besides being a chief tax collector for the conquerors. Well, as I read that study, or the, the thoughts by a scholar, they suggested that the reason Zacchaeus became the Zacchaeus was that he was set up by his own family and friends and community, by his own people. Long before the Romans ever came on the scene, they were making fun of the fact that he was short and they were outcasting him and bullying him and causing him to feel as though he didn't belong to the group and to the family. Now with a Roman army behind him, nobody's going to bully Zacchaeus, the Zacchaeus. He's chief collector of taxes. And I suppose that could be, as I read the, the article, I thought, well, that could be how Zacchaeus became the Zacchaeus. But if it was true, it's no longer working for him. In the story, we come to the fact that his wealth was no longer dulling his pain of having been an outcast for being short. And like many who experience the emptiness of wealth, he was longing now for something more. There's got to be a better reason for life than just getting rich or owning things or having some kind of wealthy power. It's interesting that the word we translate Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus is a word that, that's better translated not in that kind of English, and the other versions, I think, do it better. It's an earnest wanting, at least. It's a seeking, a searching, a longing. He wants to see Jesus with everything that's in him. And the word we translate to see can, of course, mean to see someone with your eyes. But just as we use it in English, it can mean to see with your mind, to perceive, to know, to become acquainted with by your own experience this one who had come and was turning all of Israel right side up. And interestingly, the word that we translate short is the word micro. It doesn't just mean short in stature, it means to be the least among us, the littlest, the little one, the one who has no stature. Even his wealth cannot lift him, either in his own eyes or in the eyes of his people. 
And so this wee little man in stature and social status is longing for something more. He wants to know if this rabbi, this special rabbi, this traveling rabbi, Jesus, has a life for him. Can he lift him out of this circumstance in which he was born and has, by his own choice, exacerbated his pain and experienced such loss and emptiness? Can he make things right? Now, that being who he is, we now enter into the moment in which he encounters the rabbi. He's run ahead. He's climbed a tree. He wants to see and be seen like a little child. He wants to know and be known like every human being. And so he encounters Jesus, and Jesus, of course, knows that's a, a teachable moment for this wee little man, a man who is created for so much more than what his body might communicate. So let's look, chapter 19, verse 1. This is the only uh, gospel. Luke is the only one that records this. It's a part of the narrative, uh, the, the journey narrative of the gospel of Luke. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, it's interesting as Luke chooses the words to describe that event, that he takes the word Jesus used and describes it to Zacchaeus, that Zacchaeus' longing to know God is the same longing that God has to know Zacchaeus and all who are short and lost, who have fallen short of the mark of that which we could be and have lost our way in this journey of life. Now, it's the opposite attitude of everybody else about Zacchaeus, as we saw when everyone else saw Jesus stop and invite himself into Zacchaeus' home and into Zacchaeus' life. It's always at the initiation of God that he comes into our lives. He invited you to his house today. You've responded to that, and you've come down from your tree, and you are at his place. You're with Jesus right now in his house. When everyone else saw Jesus stop, they murmured, ah, this is just an outcast. This is a traitor to his people. This is a tax collector. Doesn't he know that this is someone you don't spend time with? But Jesus saw that this is a man who is seeking to have a life that is meaningful and a life that transcends the accomplishments of this world. 
scholars question whether Zacchaeus and Jesus had met before, and one of the reasons they question that is that he seems just on the spur to say, okay, I'll give up half of everything I owe, a generosity that would be just inexplicable. And he'll pay back four times if he cheated anybody at any time when he was collect collecting taxes. And so they say, you know, he surely had time to get to that place of generosity and restitution for his sins. But I'm not so sure. It seems to me that in that moment of clarity, Zacchaeus did what I did, and perhaps what most of you have done, where he just threw his arms around the Savior and allowed him to forgive and to cleanse and to, to help him become a new creature and to care about those less fortunate, the poor amongst us, and to make restitution for anything that he's done such that he can live in the justice of God and the, the peace of God. That seems to me to be the response that we all make when we know Christ and he knows us and we know that he knows us and we know that we know him. And we've come to that place, that new place, that place of recognizing that he's my savior and that I've fallen short and I've, I've lost my way, but he's here now and he can guide me in that. I was reading recently about happiness and what causes persons to experience a happy life. And one of the things that they've done at the University of Chicago is to find out what jobs make you happy. And they've taken all the jobs and they've analyzed them and they've come up with the 10 jobs that make you happy and the 10 jobs that make you most unhappy. And the 10 jobs that they found that were happy, clergy was at the very top. And then it was teachers and it was firefighters and it was counselors, it was people who invested themselves in the little ones, cared for people and loved them, who gave themselves, even risking their life as a firefighter might do, to, to care for others. The, the business people who write Forbes magazine got hold of this and they kind of struggled with it. You know, surely that can't be. Surely the happiest people are the wealthiest and most powerful amongst us. In fact, one of the questions one of the commentators said is, why are these jobs with better pay and higher social status less likely to produce happiness? And he wondered, well, maybe it's just that poor people are talking themselves into being happy. <laughs> you know, they don't have anything else, so they're just, okay, well, we'll be happy. But of course, the answer that this business writer is missing is that we are human beings created in the image of God, and we are created for relationship. We are created to love God. We're created to love others. We're created to live in such a way that we experience a fullness that comes far beyond anything that this world might do or be or we might have that we are in fact seeking meaning not found in the money or social status of our world, but meaning found in knowing and being known by Jesus, the Christ, first and foremost, in knowing and being known by others, such that we are in relationship, meaningful, deep, connected, committed relationship. And we seek that relationship. And when we seek that, then we find the joy and the happiness that we are created to find. It would be kind of like saying that an automobile that receives gasoline will run well. 
and a human being that receives the love of God and the love of others will run well. It will go well with you. And you will live in a place that is so full of the joy of the Lord that nothing can take it from you in a permanent sense, even the things that make us most unhappy. This morning, as we partake of the sacrament of Holy Communion, we are communing with God. It's a moment when God has promised to be with us, to be known by us. There's a great mystery in the sacrament when we say this is the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you can know him with your senses as you partake of it, just as you know him with your spirit as you are in faith receiving this. We don't define as Methodists what happens to that bread or that, uh, or that wine. We simply say there's nothing like it. There's nothing like the sacrament. It's a great mystery beyond any kind of human definition, but it's a reality that every person who has ever partaken has experienced. We invite you today to know and to be known by God. You don't have to be a member of this church. It's not about church in a human sense. It's about the universal church of Jesus Christ where all of his people throughout all the time have celebrated together. So on this All Saints Sunday, as we think of all that have lived before us and all who live throughout the world, we participate together in the sacrament of Christ. And so the invitation is a simple one. It's one, do you want to confess your sins? And if so, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive. He'll not only forgive, but he will remove the very things that cause you to want to sin. He'll cleanse you, and he'll heal you of that sin sickness. And he will allow you to live a new life, fully committed to him. And if that's something you want to receive, then we encourage you that as we participate in the words of the sacrament, which are as important as receiving the bread and the wine, that you participate in the words from your heart, and then that you come forward and humbly kneeling, you make your honest confession individually in your life.